It's uh, Friday, April 8th, and uh, kind of feels like spring a little bit. 19 uh, degrees going up today. 19 degrees city. in our home city of Edmonton, Alberta. Though you know people are going to be tuning in. We heard from people in Scottsdale, Arizona yesterday, and it was <laughs> lucky 35 degrees Celsius or whatever that is in Fahrenheit. It's in the 90s, I'm pretty sure anyway. Yeah. And uh, and we know we've got people tuning in from like Costa Rica and other exotic locations. Yeah, I was checking be... out all the listeners and where they live. And it's, it's a bit of a trip, hey, when you look at the international. website. International. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool stuff. There were there, There's the odd one where somebody checks in and I go, nice. I wonder, I wonder what the story is there. Yeah, or like United <laughs> yeah. Arab Emirates or something like that. I'm going, yeah. that's... I wonder if that's somebody that, that caught on to the content or that heard something we were talking about, or maybe an expat, maybe somebody who's sure. living over there. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. maybe someone. Yeah. Um, I stepped in one yesterday, by the way. I'm, I'm always going to be stepping in one. It's what happens when you do a live talk show, but I wanted to address this right out of the gates. I saw an audience member uh, chime in to us. We did this this incredible conversation with Brandy Morin, this uh, journalist that was over covering the Pope's apology, Pope Francis apologizing for the Catholic Church's uh, what do I call it? Like involvement in the driving force behind uh, residential schools in mm-hmm. Canada. Brandy, just a phenomenal voice. What an amazing storyteller. Such a great interview. One of my favorites so and, far. And then I start, and then out of that, I, I come and I'm talking about going camping and getting ready for the summer. And I go, You're going to camp out on Crown Land? And somebody wrote in and said, Man, do not do it. It's not Crown Land, it's stolen land. And I said, oh, Hey, you know what? Point taken. That's actually a good point. And I, and I thought that it was kind of poignant that it happened right after the conversation that we had. And I went, That's a good reminder. Mm-hmm. Uh, opportunities to learn are all around us. And I appreciate audience members uh, holding our feet to the fire. And, and uh, I want to read an email from Cheryl almost out of the gates. They, uh, her subject line caught my attention. She wrote in to us, You can email us anytime talk at ryanjesperson.com her subject line says i'm learning and i went oh that'll get my attention so i want to read cheryl's email today we have a a panel coming up two of them today are officially sanctioned real talk roundtable will go in about half an hour's time we do it every single friday about 11 o'clock eastern nine o'clock mountain time and it's going to be joined by uh, punita mcbrien lisa holmes and doug griffiths we're going to talk about building great communities and and why you should give a rip about that and how community building has changed or the definition, the understanding of it, what you can do about it, why it matters, quite frankly. So that's coming up today. I think that we're going to be inspired and learn from that. And in a, uh, just a few minutes time, maybe five minutes from now or even less, who knows, uh, Erica Ifill and Sarah Biggs will join us uh, to get into uh, their takes, their perspectives on the federal budget released yesterday uh, by the liberals, uh, obviously with the support of the NDP on this one. And, and we're going to get into that. There's a a liberal and NDP angle to one of our submissions for trash talk today as well. So (laughs) somebody heard a a word that I used. They didn't like the word coalition yesterday. Uh, And I was kind of lazy about it. I just said, you know, here are some of the stories we haven't talked about. Here are some of the things that went on. I go, you've got that liberal NDP coalition. You've got, you know, Chris Rock and Will Smith. You've got Jason Kenney's leadership review. You've got a bunch of things happening. The Pope's apology. And uh, someone wrote in to say, like, a word like coalition in describing bipartisan cooperation is actually a bit of a loaded word. Well, what's the proper wording then? Well, I mean, what do you want to call it? You can call it whatever you want. You can, you can, you can just dilute it and make it, you could say like the deal sure. or the cooperation or, or, or the, the, you know, the liberals governing with the support of the, or some sort of a partnership. But The uh, handshake? Is that too much? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to, uh, I don't know if I want to ruin, the, it's from Karen. She's one of the raging grannies and uh, Karen wrote in, but I'm not going to wreck her trash talk. I'm not going to start doing it right now and diluting it. Uh, so, so we'll leave that one there. Uh, all of this, this show happens because of the support of our amazing sponsors, and that includes our title sponsor, Bitcoin Well. Uh, heard from uh, Adam O'Brien yesterday, the founding CEO of Bitcoin Well. There's a lot going on over there, including 
a big expansion. You know, they just opened an office in Calgary a while ago. They've got a big one under construction downtown Edmonton because their team is growing. But of course, they've got more than 200 Bitcoin ATMs all across the country. And they're growing the business internationally as well. It's a trend worth paying attention to. If you don't quite understand what's going on right now, I'm never going to tell you go out and sell your belongings and buy Bitcoin. But if you have questions about it or you do want to buy Bitcoin, I recommend the team at Bitcoin Well. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. As mentioned, we'll talk federal budgets in uh, about five minutes' time with Erica Eiffel and Sarah Biggs. Uh, Sarah's worked in Ottawa as a, a strategist with the Conservatives. She worked recently to help Calgary's mayor, Jody Gondek, get elected. Uh, Erica does a ton of stuff. She's an economist and a journalist and a podcaster. So <laughs> Erica's just uh, really making uh, an amazing mark uh, living in Ottawa. But she I just saw this. She, she divulged this morning, and I didn't actually know this about Erica. I want to ask her about it. She, she divulged this morning. She said this is her first media interview with an outlet uh, out of her hometown. So from really? Edmonton, yeah, so from Edmonton. So that's pretty cool. Awesome. So Erica Eiffel uh, joining us in just a little bit. The, this federal government, the 2022 budget plan, everybody's paying pretty close attention to it, of course, because it's, uh, you know, people are starting to talk about recovery from pandemic impact. And I, I know a bunch of you, let me get ahead of the, the protest. I get it. A bunch of you are going to say, uh, sorry, like, are we moving on from COVID? Are we moving on from the pandemic? Well, to a certain degree, on the finance side or the economic stimulus side, governments are starting to look ahead over the next five or six years, uh, lengthy enough runway to sort of say, what do we think would be the most effective way to, to restore investor confidence, to help business kickstart again, uh, to attract international investment, and also to start the recovery of, of some of the, the pretty significant debt that federal and provincial governments took on, federal governments for the most part, with this economic stimulus and the support packages and CERB and everything else that popped up over the past two years. And we talked about this just like CERB, and everyone goes, right, CERB, yeah, the $2,000 a month. For what was that? You know, the better part of at least a year for, for some people, six months, for others, whatever the case was, you remember now is the time where we start to look at those numbers and say, what's our plan? And so Finance Minister Christian Freeland yesterday outlining that the government says it's a strategy to grow the economy and like make life more affordable. Some of the key highlights, um, some of the highlights, I know that some of you were emailing us about dental care. Some of you are keen on that. Some of you are not sold on that as a federal initiative. I'm going to ask our guests about that. Of course, the, 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 the housing, the affordable housing angle. John, you mentioned that yesterday is something you'd be, you know, you were intrigued to see what the government would do with it. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of young couples like me and my wife are just really worried. Housing yeah. market going up here, Ontario, Ontario, BC. I was talking to the guy who installed our TELUS uh, this week when we moved in, and he was saying his relatives in Ontario are buying property out here because mm. it's cheaper. Yeah. So we've got to address that as well as foreign, you know, interests coming in. And like people here need affordable housing first. Yeah. You There's going to be a, a cap on foreign investment for property for two years. And of course, you're coming to us from, you know, you've just moved here from British Columbia where that's, yeah, I mean, if you're on the coast, it. if you're in Vancouver, way different story. And you talk we, to people about, I mean, what's driving the market there. We did a search as well for, we were out there a year and it's just, you know, even someone who's, you know, like me, who has this job, uh, you know, I've got side hustles and stuff like that. 
still very difficult, very difficult uh, to get a home and own a home. Yeah, How's so. the uh, wedding DJ booking going? I saw, <laughs> I saw that you were like you were hitting that hard over the weekend. You, you had your like you had your like early bird special. You had or, to bring this up. Well, I'm just uh, people will be interested. People want to get to know you a little bit and what yeah. makes you tick in this. So you all, you do have a side hustle. You're all, a fantastic DJ. All booked up for 2023. It's great. Really? Everyone's excited. For 2023. Right? 2023. Well, Come everyone on. Everyone who couldn't get married 2020. 2021, right? They're uh, in the 2019. It all got pushed, right? Wow. So, so this, see, that would make me nervous. I, I would sort of think that if I was booking a year ahead of time, I'd be ahead of it, but not so much. If, it, you, if you want, it's it's really busy right now because everyone had to hold off during COVID. Right? Well, that's good so, stuff. Yeah. And, and you're going to be DJing at the uh, Real Talk Golf Classic coming up on June 23rd. I as can't well. wait so for that. Oh, what, what hole three? Time. <laughs> yeah, something like that. We'll figure out where to put you. We want to put you up with the speaker stack so as many people as possible can hear you. Yeah. Registration, by the way, will be opening up for our golf tournament coming up in the next couple of weeks. And of course, we'll give you a heads up on that. But circle your calendars uh, Thursday, June 23rd. Uh, Johnny, let me know when our uh, panel's ready to rock and roll. And I wanted to get to this email from Cheryl. This was awesome. She wrote in, subject line says, I'm learning. Uh, Sarah says, Ryan, I've been following closely everything that happened on air between you and your former producer. I heard it live. I followed the Twitter blow up. I talked about it with my three teenage daughters. I watched, I listened, I learned. Uh, I'm a female, but I'm also privileged. Uh, I'm especially a leader who has very poorly navigated social media blowups in my own life, and I've been paying attention. Uh, Cheryl says, today, I did better because of what happened on Real Talk. Today, I made a mistake. I was insensitive on a matter of diversity and inclusion. I was tone deaf. Uh, the individual reached out to me. She's a BIPOC female uh, in my organization and uh, wasn't happy in the past. I would have made some strong arguments, at least that's what I would have thought for why this person may have been overreacting, why I shouldn't be judged so harshly. And Cheryl says, and I'm pretty good at arguing, so I probably would have made some persuasive points and even felt somewhat vindicated. But like I said, I've been watching and listening and learning, uh, earmuffs kids, how to navigate through mistakes and conflicts and even total fuck ups. Uh, you were in my head and your former producer was in my head. And so I shut my mouth today and let this person vent and say what they needed to say. And I really listened. And then I apologized unequivocally. And later, says Cheryl, when I debriefed a team member who also witnessed this blow up, I defended the harmed person's right and need to be heard. Uh, I, as a white woman, do not understand her story. It's not my right to diminish her. I needed to listen to her. I needed to make space for her. I told my teammate that our position was that we were wrong. Uh, whether we intended harm or not, that person was harmed, and that wasn't okay. And after I'd apologized to this person, I asked how I could remedy the harm. And she had some really good suggestions, actually, and I followed through on them immediately, doing my best to make amends. And so thank you to the show to your teammates, current and former, uh, you've shown me that I can do better, so I did. That from Cheryl. How incredible is that as an email? I mean, that's just like one person's story, a part of this community tuning in and and uh, applying some of the things. You know, when, when we make mistakes, when, when we screw up, when we let people down, uh, the one thing we can do is endeavor to learn from it, to grow from it, to be better. And Cheryl, that was an amazing uh, story, an amazing email that, that kind of lifted me up a little bit to be honest with you and filled our spirits a little bit and we're so grateful for that you can be in touch with us anytime we're so grateful when audience members uh, take the time even just a few minutes to let us know how the show is resonating with you 
Also a reminder that a lot of your input drives our editorial process. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show right now, I mean, geez, let me swerve off for a second to touch on the fact that thousands of Ukrainians uh, were just subject to a Russian attack at a, at a train station. It's reported that dozens of them were killed uh, as a result of this Russian aggression on civilians uh, and people doing their best right now. I mean, there are things happening all around us. And while the show may not be touching on everything of importance every single day, we want to let you know it's still on our radar, but you can also communicate with us and let us know the same thing. What would you like to hear on the show? What are you interested to hear more about? One of the things we really appreciate is when people make suggestions on specific guests that they'd like to hear on the show. It's something we're happy to accommodate if we think that it would be something that would benefit the greater audience. And so please don't hesitate to be in touch. Our official hashtag for the show, you know, is Real Talk RJ, and that hashtag is proudly presented by the team at Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider, providing electricity internet and natural gas uh, i told you this before i want to make sure you realize that if you bundle your services with them i know some of you are going yeah we, we get our natural gas from park power we, we get our electricity from park power you get all three bundle internet in there as well you're going to save even more money on administrative costs and of course the promo code 2022-realtalk gets you 70 dollars off your first bill at parkpower.ca if this is the time of year where you're starting to think about fresh starts and new beginnings, there's something about spring, isn't there? You just wait till you're walking through your neighborhood and you see the first tulips or the first daffodils pop up. Athabasca University might be the answer uh, to the next step forward in your personal quest to better yourself, to, to educate yourself in something you might not know much about or, or maybe even pursue a new career path. Athabasca U is Canada's online university and their world-class accredited online programs and courses offer flexibility. That's the biggest draw as far as I'm concerned. You learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You can learn more about their faculty, uh, the research that's being done at AU and more, including the admissions process at AthabascaU.ca. And I just got this from our friends at Eden Landscaping, family-owned business, amazing folks. Eden Landscaping has been basically bringing outdoor spaces to life for more than 20 years. And I get an email this morning from their team. It says, here's our new ad copy. This is written by the team. Urban front yards are challenging. The intimate space, the cookie cutter layout, the strip of grass with a single lonely tree. We at Eden Landscaping can help you realize that your yard can be so much more than the barely developed minimum. Outdoor spaces are meant to be good for your soul, for our climate, for the ecosystem. Let us transform that space into what we call the urban butterfly yard approach. A landscape that respects our local plant species, the incredibly important pollinators that need habitat. Think beyond just a lawn. Bring back the purpose to your yard and make it useful for something other than your lawnmower because frankly, grass isn't much fun unless you're smoking it. That from... Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. I suspect that based on that ad read alone, they may have just earned a few new customers. My wife likes it. Yeah? What? Grass or just landscaping? Or... Oh, she likes the ad <laughs> An read. LOL at the oh. read, yeah. I like that live commentary coming in on the text. Um, do, do we have what, what, at least one of our panelists ready to rock here? No, we're hanging tight, really. Okay, for Sarah Biggs and Erica Eiffel, um, and uh, you, you sure? You, let's do this live here. Make it. I, I sent them the right Zoom link. I'm pretty sure there's all that jazz. It's I'm resending covered, right? you the link right now, yeah, just in case you sent the old yeah, one. But, but yeah, I, I hope I didn't send the old one. Can you check the old one? 
oh boy, can you imagine Checking if this right has now. happened and right now they're sitting there waiting for us and, and they're, they're clicking the wrong Zoom link and it could just all be my fault and my problem? This would be a bit of a disaster moving forward uh, for the show, wouldn't it? Um, so the federal budget, this is what a lot of people are talking about right now, of course, because it, it matters to folks and uh, this is something that's applicable when it comes to taxes, when it, when it comes to how your life's going to be affected. So, um, you know, people are, are, of course, pointing out to this $500 subsidy for some folks when it comes to affordable housing for rent. And, and, and so I saw some commentary on social media. People are going, well, 500 bucks, big deal, 500 bucks. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I've seen other folks say, well, if you're struggling and if this is something where, you know, you're really having a hard time paying your bills right now, you, you're going to want to make sure that that $500 is, is arriving. That's a big deal to a lot of folks that might not have the means. And every single month, it's a struggle to get where you're going with regards to covering your bills. So that's, that's one highlight out of the budget. That's a, an interesting one there for sure. Uh, another one is an investment of a billion and a half dollars to build new affordable homes. Now, of course, that'll be applied across the country. A lot of these budget numbers are spread out over a number of years. But that's another big one. A ban on foreign home buyers, John, like you mentioned as well, $4.3 billion to be invested in indigenous housing. Uh, and then other programs, including the big one, I think that a lot of people are paying attention to dental care. Uh, last year, the liberals voting against the NDP's proposal today in the budget and kids under 12 are going to get dental care this year. And for families, uh, Johnny, I know that dental care, people will say we understand. I mean, just ask your dentist. It's their business. But dentists will say dental health is good health right yeah, like of course good health includes dental health and it's not being covered uh in canada where we believe our healthcare to basically be free and inclusive and uh that's been something that's that's been kind of you know standing out um to a lot of people and so uh i think that that's going to be a, a big one for sure were any of the other things that you were looking at like generally speaking i mean dental care for for anybody i, I think for lower income people it's it's obvious to say it's probably a bigger deal of course um, some folks with more means may take something like that for granted but but generally speaking when you took a look at the chatter around this budget do you, do you think the government did all right i mean did you think it landed okay with people i think they did okay but as you're talking about that those are the top probably two or three for my wife and me as well is is of course dental and then of course like she takes care of her body very well she likes massage and and all that and so uh benefits like that are really going to help families just to live better physically mentally all that stuff so i thought it was okay i took a look at it not in depth but it looked okay yeah yeah and so we'll see i mean i, I know for a lot of people you'll, you'll say there's 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 something that uh you know you know we're we're sort of looking for and maybe we didn't get exactly what we were looking for but you know, such is the case oftentimes with budgets like this. Uh, but this was also the first one, of course, with this this cooperation, you know, the liberals yeah. and the NDP. And then this brings us back to that conversation that we were having yesterday and that, that a lot of folks have been talking about this this idea, not a coalition, but but, <laughs> but a cooperation, like a yeah. partnership uh, with with the liberals and the NDP. And, and I think it's it's probably safe to say that that's definitely absolutely what what moved the ball down the field on dental care in particular sure uh, and in my mind uh, that's a successful partnership if i'm a federal ndp supporter uh, it, it it's not personally the party that i vote for but i know there's a lot of hard-working people um that voted uh, to send ndp members of parliament to ottawa uh, mm -hmm. including a couple of them in alberta and this is a win right you, you didn't form government you're not the official opposition but you can leverage um, a partnership or your, your influence uh, with regards to those seats you've earned uh, and make something happen, which sure. has been a priority for a lot of people and something that Jagmeet Singh, the party leader, ran on, campaigned on. So, um, you know, on our on our chat here, Hope says it was a very sensible budget. 
Um, Jason, uh, talking about first-time home buyers, says, you know, this tax-free down payment opportunity, very welcoming for first-time home buyers uh, as well, which I think is, is, is probably something that a lot of people were looking for, a lot of people were paying attention to. And, and so, you know, I mean, you, you can uh, certainly uh, keep in touch with us with regards to what you saw in this budget that you liked or didn't like. Um, our coverage of it can continue into next week for sure. A lot of times uh, when something like this lands, you, you're sitting there going, well, I need, I need a minute to sift through it. I need to understand how it's going to affect me. There are tax implications with this budget for sure, right? Some tax increases for some folks. Pharmacare is another big one. Mm. Um, tabling the Pharmacare Act by the end of 2023. This is a commitment that the government's made and tasking the Canadian Drug Agency to develop a national formulary uh, and a surtax on profitable financial institutions that should bring in an additional $6.1 billion in revenue. You saw from the big banks, uh, yeah. they're already saying this is going to hurt their competitiveness. Uh, internationally, so uh, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if people feel sorry for the big banks. I was just gonna say, do do we care? <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I don't I don't know if that's something that's really gonna land with a lot of people, or something that that people would be really concerned about. You know, I mean, uh, you know, the the now there's probably implications. We don't want our banks to collapse or anything like that, but. No. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, I think this government trying to do something, and of course, that will uh, keep the support of, of Canadians and, and obviously have people buy into the idea that this government's the one that can uh, take them forward. Um, I'm fascinated to see as well what's, what's going to happen in, in, in Justin Trudeau's term here, the term of this government. It, it receives essentially an extension with yeah. the support of the NDP. Uh, but uh, but does he stick around for another election? This this uh, budget was presented by who a lot of people, I think, uh, believe could be the next leader of the federal liberals and, and could be the next prime minister of Canada, if uh, the past Mr. Is, Christian Freeland. Yeah. If the past is any reflection of what he's going to do next, I think he'll go again. Yeah. Debbie says uh, dental emergencies will still wind up in the ER. You know, dentists aren't going to change their work hours just because the government's bringing in some funding and and, uh, you know, Connor says, I, I have a feeling that the banks are going to be OK. Connor, <laughs> Connor's not too worried about Aren't the banks. They always? So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, people are writing in with questions about weddings now, John. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a few uh, minutes. Uh, Les says the word disability wasn't even said during the budget. It's like it's like governments, you know, can't handle saying the word. Yeah. Um, OK. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's an example right there of something where, you know, an individual person is looking for a specific commitment from government. They don't see it. And and so for 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 that person, whoever you're whatever your lens is, whatever lens you're looking through, uh, you may believe that 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 budget missed the mark. Right. So um, Tony wonders. Yeah, it's a question for weddings. Here's something light on a Friday. If you get invited, <laughs> if you get invited, this is a great question from Tony. If you get invited to a destination wedding, are you obligated to bring a gift? Uh if I do as the DJ, probably no, no, no. not. But well, as a as a as a guest, I would think so. Yeah. Usually they cop for some of the uh, for some of the bill too. I don't like when destination weddings happen and you've got to pay flight, hotel, all that stuff. But if they're chipping in for all that stuff or half of that stuff, you're getting a good gift from me. Yeah. All right. Um, I I don't know. I'm I'm going to say to Tony, you're not obligated to bring a gift. <laughs> At a destination <laughs> wedding, I don't think, and maybe it depends on where the destination wedding is. Well, first of all, the first thing that we should uh, point out is it would matter who paid for you to go to the destination wedding. Totally. If the tab was covered, you better bring a gift. Yeah. But also, you don't bring it. You don't load a bunch of people up with gifts at the destination. Then they got to figure out how to get them home. A little cash in a card. What do you What do you mean? Come yeah, on, a little man. cash. That's it. 
hopefully enough people at the wedding that when you go back through customs, it's complicated. Are you carrying more than $10,000 in currency? Well, as a matter of fact, we uh, absolutely cleaned up at the wedding. So yes, we are for sure. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, we have uh, a roundtable coming up in about five minutes uh, from now and uh, looking forward to that. Um, and uh, we're going to be getting into what it, what it means to build big communities, healthy communities. And uh, I'm looking forward to that with uh, Doug Griffiths, a former minister uh, in the government of Alberta, Punita McBride, who's executive director of the Edmonton Downtown Business Association, and uh, Lisa Holmes as well, chief of staff to Edmonton's mayor, the former mayor of Morinville herself and past president of Alberta municipalities. So Lisa, as a matter of fact, I mean, all three of them have extensive experience in, in building communities, and they've approached some of those challenges from different angles. Uh, I'm interested to pick Doug's brain on this one he says uh great nations don't build great communities great nations are built upon great communities and i thought that that was uh, a really uh intuitive and excellent point that was made there um you know, I've also realized, Johnny, is I'm, I'm pretty sure that I told our, our panelists for the federal budget that uh, we were going to get going around nine o'clock mountain time, which means that uh, they would have been extremely early had they been here ready to rock and roll. <laughs> right. So there you go. Easing back into producing, which is good. It's been a little while. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll take a, a bit of a break right now. We're going to remind you about some of our sponsors we're really proud to partner with. Then we'll do 10 minute quick hits with Sarah Biggs and Erica Ifill, and then we'll transition into our roundtable and make that happen. It, it's a perfect time for me to remind you about Friesen Brothers. Uh, we're so proud to affiliate ourselves with a family-owned company like Friesen Brothers that for more than 65 years has been operating across the province of Alberta, 16 locations now, including this phenomenal location in our home city, South Edmonton, the Rabbit Hill Road location just off the Anthony Handy, uh, just off Terwilliger Drive. I know I'm getting really local here, but if you're in Edmonton, I I'm basically giving you the exact directions on how to get there because if you've not seen this place you got to it's going to blow your mind they've got like bees on the roof they got their own honey they've got alberta fresh produce their seasonal sourdough the garden vegetable sourdough is one that they're featuring right now you can check out more at freezing.com and a reminder the first day of every month so your next shot at it may 1st 75 dollars your minimum purchase gets you 15 percent off the whole tab at Friesen Brothers. How good is that? That's solid stuff. Our friends at Infinity Healthcare, I mean, I've been so impressed with what they're doing here. They know, I, the first time I met with them, before we even started talking about them on the show, talking to their executive leadership, and I said, what's the biggest misconception people have about your company? They said, well, we're, we're private healthcare. And we know that as soon as we say private healthcare, people are going to go, ah, red flags, we don't like that. Alarm bells, private healthcare. They said, let's hit that head on. Let's make sure people understand what we're doing here. What they're doing is, is providing caregiver supports uh, for people that require a little bit of extra assistance. And that might be having a bit of cleaning done around the house, tidying up, making sure that their meds are taken. It might mean grandma wants somebody to play checkers with for a couple of hours, quite, quite frankly. I mean, it might be uh, somebody that, that would love to have a conversation in, in, in their original, you know, their native tongue. That, you know, maybe English is a second language and the caregivers that you've been assigned just haven't been a good fit. Maybe other factors at play. The personality matching they do at Infinity ensures that both sides are finding it to be a perfect match. 
Uh, it's really impressive model what they're doing right now and uh, more affordable than you might think. So check out Infinity Healthcare today at infinity-8.ca. All right, federal budget out yesterday, as you know, it's a big one. And a lot of people were paying pretty close attention to the message that this government would be sending. Was it a hit? Was it a miss? Was it a pass? Was it a fail? Was it a barely pass or a pass with flying colors? Let's find out. Erica Ifill is an economist, a journalist, and she's going to be joining us uh, shortly. Uh, and Sarah Biggs, uh, a political strategist, a political organizer, a lobbyist, a partner at Olson and Biggs Public Affairs. Uh, she's worked for the Conservatives in Ottawa. She's quarterbacked several leadership campaigns. She was on the team that got Jody Gondek, Dr. Gondek, elected as the mayor of Calgary in that successful run. She co-hosts The Breakdown as well. Sarah, it's great to have you here on the show. Thanks for making time for us. A good morning to you. Thanks for having me, Ryan. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you. So so the yeah. budget, let, let me ask you, generally speaking, and it might be an unfair question because it, it's, it's you know, it, I'm asking you to pick one or the other. Was it a hit or a miss, a pass or a fail? A half and half. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a safe answer, but that's good. I like that. So, so where did the government do well in your assessment? So I think the dental plan is a really good start um, where we need to... Um, you know, to be able to support our communities. I also found that um, the Minister of Finance really tried to um, show some resilience, some compassion and cooperation um, into her, you could call her her budget story if you want. Um, so what's been interesting is that there's um, quite a bit of money being thrown into uh, reconciliation. There's a lot of money being thrown you know, we're starting to work with um, dental programs. We're going to be seeing also um, the pharmacare program is going to be announced later this year. We don't really have a timeline yet, um, but they said that by the end of the year, we're going to start seeing some paperwork in regards to it. Um, the environmental side of it, super important. Um, and also, there's so many things to talk about, Ryan. There's also, we need to look into... Um, how the war in Ukraine has affected us as a nation. And I think that we are trying to seek a little bit more um, what we could call, you know, stop relying on other um, countries for rare minerals, start exploiting our resources. Um, we um, also, you know, with um, the CCUS um, at 50% credit, um, I would say we're not taking it far enough. And, you know, a lot of provinces said, well, for it to work, really work, we should be going at 75%. Well, then I would encourage the provinces maybe to throw the 25% needed to try to really help with that carbon capture project. You don't think they're going to do that, though, do you? I don't know. If, I don't know. Well, you know, one can always dream. <laughs> one can dream. Uh, I, I want to come back, Sarah, to, to the, the war in Ukraine as well and the significance of that. Let's uh, bring in our other panelist, Erica Eiffel. I'm looking forward to having her here with us. Uh, Erica is an economist and a journalist who founded Not In My Color, which is an equity and an anti-racism consultancy that takes organizations uh, from meaningful conversations to systemic change. She's the co-founder and co-host of the Bad and Bitchy podcast, uh, which provides critical analysis on politics and pop culture from an intersectional feminist perspective. She's a columnist. You've probably read her in the Hill Times. She writes about federal politics and economics with an equity lens. You've probably also read her work in the National Observer, Refinery29, The Globe and Mail, McLean's 
Uh, and you can see her uh, oftentimes on a regular basis speaking about equity and politics on CBC, CTV, CPAC, and of course, right here on Real Talk. Erica, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here. Good morning to you. Hello. Hey, this is my first like media for my hometown. Yeah. So shout out Edmonton. I saw you tweet that this morning. You know, you said yeah. you, were, you said you were chuffed. By the way, which in, I, in my mind is one of the most underused words of all time in the English language. Yes. That's a solid yes. word. I I'm totally chuffed by this. Yeah. By the way, shout out to class of '95 from Ross Shep. Okay. Okay. There you go. <laughs> My buddy Kyle's going to be pretty stoked about that. He's a proud Ross Shep alum. So there you go. You and I both class of 95, but I couldn't stand Ross Shep because I, I played basketball at a school down in Calgary and you guys beat us up all the time. So I, I so that, but that's okay. Erica, uh, we had uh, sort of Sarah's general take and, and, and she gave us a lot to sort of dive into and, and get into on a, on a, on a more uh, nuanced or a more specific uh, uh, approach. But, but generally speaking, this budget, I saw what you were tweeting yesterday. It does looks to me like you would give it a failing grade. Is that a fair assessment? I don't like this budget at all. And I'll tell you why. Number one is um, I don't believe we're post-pandemic, first of all. I, from what I understand, um, hospitals are filling up again with people with COVID. And so there's school outbreaks. It's, it's like, it's like, the government decided to turn a page and now it doesn't exist anymore. And that's not true. And the people who are suffering from COVID, the people who are still suffering from COVID are people for whom there have been um, historic economic barriers and societal barriers. And this budget in my mind does not address that. COVID has um, just exposed multiple inequities in our society. And I think that that should be our first priority as a nation, because if we don't, we're going to have a lot of political upheaval. Hmm. Is, is that a fair assessment, Sarah, fr from how you see it uh, with regards to specifically where Erica said it, it fell short? I mean, would you see things along those same lines? Well, so it's a very fine line to walk, I would say, because a lot of the COVID restrictions are uh, provincial jurisdictions. Um, so does the federal government really moving into endemic? Yes and no. Um, you know, those those restrictions that have been lifted, the the kids are suffering in school. I, I have an 18 months old, like I'm dealing with the stress of it every day. Um, you know, and those inequities, I would say, uh, it, I, I think that the federal government should have more um, support for the provinces to still bring in more resources for hospitals and maybe increase the transfers um, to keep fighting COVID-19. But then again, um, if we're asking the federal government to step in and to um, more restrictions and to, to all that and really get mingled, then we could be talking again about federal and provincial jurisdiction and who's right and who's wrong. And then we would get into, you know, political battle that we really do not need right now um have could they have had increased um you know social programs absolutely could have could they be um increasing health transfers absolutely but i i don't think we should be solely blaming the government the federal government for trying to move into a more endemic phase when you know pretty much every single province in this country decided that covid was not a thing anymore oh. Uh, that's that's the problem, isn't it? Is that the provinces decided everybody went, okay, and that was it. 
Hmm. Yeah. That is the problem. I, I care less about the politicking. I care more about the issues and how they affect people. That's just where I'm coming from. And so in my mind, um, if we, if COVID's not over, I mean, let's be honest, the, the budget is as much a marketing document as it is a policy document. And there's no language around that in terms of, hey, there's still, we still have this virus, right? Yeah. So uh, that's one way they fell short. Two is the inequities. Three, I mean, I had a hell of a time opening the gender-based plus analysis, which is in a separate document, which opened to a 404 error, error code, which is... <laughs> fitting it kind of sent a message to you erica <laughs> yeah it was fitting um but but when it comes to gba plus um i open up the document and they're still using terms like visible minority and i'm wondering if i'm reading a document from 1995 when i graduated from shep hmm. you know i mean like like i this is the other thing this government is still looking at these issues in very siloed ways right it's like, okay, we'll address housing, but we'll address tech, but not making a connection that, hey, you know, you increase um, tech clusters, you're gentrifying neighborhoods. And what does that mean for people being pushed out of those neighborhoods? I mean, I think we're way past this primary way of looking at issues. Yeah. Well, that's why we want to have conversations like this and interviews like this, because I think that that's how people want to approach these, Erica. And, and I also know that what I see around me from friends of mine who are amazing people and who pay their taxes, but they really are kind of like, you're like, it's budget day. And they're like, oh, yeah. And I don't think people really like a lot of people kind of, you know, you want to know, like one of my buddies just said, are my taxes going up or down? And I said, well, I'm probably up, <laughs> probably up. The budget is an Ottawa story, right? For Ottawa people. Yeah. But, but people want to know, but then there'll be the specific thing, right? Like you've got a, a single mom or a single dad with a, with an exactly. 11 year old that needs dental care. And then all of a sudden it's a big deal. Well, that's, and that's one of the ways I actually thought about dental care because I tweet people, single mothers, single parents, actually, um, who were talking about how they had to do makeshift dental care, which is scary if you think about it, how they had, they couldn't afford dental care, how, you know, dental care is also connected to cardiac health. So it is healthcare, mm -hmm. And it's funny because that same week I dropped $1,400 on dental care. And I thought, honestly, thank God that something's happening because this has been way overdue. What we're doing now, childcare, dental care, the upcoming farmer care is way overdue. I don't give credit for things we should have done. And, um, you know, when it comes to things like increasing minimum wage, we should have done that years ago. So I, I am not of the, I'm not the type to um, give crumbs of reassurance to something I think doesn't go far enough. Mm. Sarah, is uh, this budget uh, enough, do you think, for this government to, to convince Canadians that this is a move in the right direction, that this government is, is on track and focused uh, with regards to what the next, let's call it, one to five years uh, should look like? I mean, can this government, can this prime minister stand up and, and, and say two years from now, 
you know, young kids, especially in low-income families or, or lower-income earners are receiving dental care. Pharmacare is a meaningful program that's working. We'll see what the appetite looks like from the provinces. I mean, that's not a done deal. A lot of provinces, including Alberta, I think Ontario too, Erica, correct me if I'm wrong, they've said yep. that they have no appetite for it. Uh, but Sarah, exactly. does, it, does it send a strong message to, to the country that you think resonates? I mean, you're a political strategist, you're a political <laughs> analyst. Uh, is, it, is it a positive for the government's support? It is something, but I don't think they're going far enough. Um, you know, if you really want to take meaningful actions, um, what I'm worried about is that, well, what I think we're going to be seeing, especially with dental plan, is that it's going to be a very small fraction of the population that will be eligible. Um, you know, and, and something that even the conservatives should get behind and try to elevate and amplify and make it more accessible. Um, you know, we're talking right now, it's going to be kids under 12, which is great, but under certain brackets, under certain programs, mm -hmm. under this and this and that. So I think it's very, uh, it's a very limited, um, you know, program right now. And then I feel like it could be more performative than really meaningful, but I also agree. it depends how we are electing as provinces. Mm -hmm. which leaders we will be electing in the next 18 to 24 months mm -hmm. um, to see those programs to, you know, come into life and take action because mm -hmm. um, I'm just going to be, you know, quote, looking at Alberta right now because that, that's my home province. Um, you know, we're looking at possible privatization of healthcare. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of noise around it. Um, it took so, a while to I get the job. Sarah, what, what specifically, uh, I was just talking about private health care. We partner with a group that does home care, that does caregiving supports yeah. for, for, for people in various circumstances. But, but I understand that when, when you talk about private health care and you use those two words together, a lot of Canadians really bristle. Although statistically, there's some evidence that a lot of Canadians are open to it, depending on what it looks like. What are the red, yeah. when you talk about private health care, what are the red flags for you specifically? Well, I'm worried. So there's two things. So, um, if we look at, okay, so right now the way we are ma managing the pandemic in the, in the province is that we increase ICU beds. That seems to be um, the Hail Mary of COVID-19 right now in the province. Um, strategy that works, not necessarily. Um, I would agree that it costs more maintaining ICU beds and staffers, and you have a more burn, a higher burnout rate from your staff. So what I'm worried about is that a lot of staff that are exhausted from working to the private healthcare for the past two years, will be moving into a private healthcare facility where they're guaranteed a nine to five Monday to Friday. Sure. With a much higher salary and better conditions. For the past two years, our healthcare workers were pretty much not able to take vacation time. They are exhausted. We are dealing with a six wave upcoming right now. Um, I don't have really any hope, you know. It, it, it's all ties in into a big scenario of how the climate is right now. But, um, you know, I'm not talking about home support or, you know, physiotherapy or the, yeah. you know, that kind of private health care. I'm really talking, taking surgical facilities and chartering them and publicly funded so the government, for the sake of it, can save some money. But I'm worried that now. We're going to see a more two-speed 
health system like we could see in Quebec happening right now. Okay. Um, I want to give both of you a chance to, you know, before we, uh, we're going to move our conversation on, I'm so grateful for both of your time. And obviously we're going to get both of you back on the show here, but, but uh, Sarah, you touched on Ukraine and I want to circle back on that, but Erica, what's something else where when this interview ends, uh, you're going to take your headphones out and you're going to turn your microphone off and you're going to say, I wish Ryan would have asked me about this. What do you wish I would have asked you about? What's one other thing that you really noticed with this budget worth talking about? Where is this feminist recovery I keep hearing about? Hmm. <laughs> Where is that? I mean, it was prominent in last year's budget. It was the talk of the town. But it seems to be woefully missing from this year's budget. Um, it's not... Creating a feminist budget is supposed to be a structural change. And really what they've treated it as, as is as a patina of some kind. And um, when I look at retraining, when I look at um, just a lot of measures, the, what it seems to me is that their idea of what a Canadian is, is middle class, urban or suburban, and um, white. And, you know, if, if they're talking about women, it's, you know, sort of traditional ideas of women. Hmm. And I could see that throughout the policy. I mean, the conservatives do the same thing. The conservatives think every woman is trying to get into a nuclear family or in a nuclear family, so to speak. So I really see that playing out in policy. And what I find is that the liberals are using childcare as their sort of feminist policy and they think that childcare is a panacea for everything, and it's not. I want to see when when Christian Freeland is talking about immigration and talking about migrant workers. Let's talk about migrant workers during COVID and how we did nothing for them. Let's talk about how we're creating an immigrant underclass that will disproportionately affect women of that underclass. So when I'm talking about a feminist approach. I'm talking about an intersectional feminist approach, which, which centers race, gender, and class. Because this is the other thing. We have a class problem in this country, and I find that most of the measures in this budget benefit middle and upper class. Think about the um, uh, tax-free savings account for homeowners. For the housing, yeah. Yeah, that's a great example. Tax-free accounts savings accounts benefit the upper class and the wealthy. And if they can run their capital gains through that, then they're not paying tax at all, right? So again, I, I, the devil's in the details, but I think they're just exacerbating problems, especially on the housing file. On I don't even want to start with the National Co-Investment Fund, which has been an abject failure since 2017. But it feels like that, um, you know, help to um, access um, ownership, home ownership in this country, the, a lot of the actions that have been taking this week are extremely performative. Um, it does not address um, higher interest rate, cost of living in Alberta, our insurance is one of the roof. Uh, I won't even talk about my utility bill right now because oh. you know, it's around $800 a month. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that are not being taken. It's like if there's, and there, it shows a huge disconnect between the reality that the federal government is showing and the reality of the provinces right now. Like 
you know, everybody's bashing Alberta to transition and stop oil and gas. Okay, but what are we doing? Should we start like a giant climate hub to invest even more to keep people employed to move forward and take that business opportunity at the same time and create good job and use and use even more new technologies and really make our part or we're just going to keep Alberta bashing and say well they're not able to transition because you know what we're kind of left on our own here with a government that really doesn't believe into climate change and do environmental policies oh. if we do so there's a lot it's a heavy conversation yeah and you know speaking of which i have a problem with these funds okay the way they finance these things through these funds is dubious okay because if you look at the black entrepreneurship fund that has not that they announced last year the big banks have walked away from it it hasn't addressed any of the systemic or structural issues having to do with lower rates of lending for for black businesses um you know they've been the 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 organization that they created for this fund is not giving the money out fast enough Mm. you know the problem is a lot of the details are in the eligibility criteria and the terms and conditions and all of that boring reading that you know will put you to sleep but that's where the details are and that's where the devil is well and this is why having an economist and a journalist combo erica is amazing on a show (laughs) like this that's a double whammy. That's amazing. Listen, I, this conversation could go on forever. Obviously, the two of you, your, your understanding of all of this is incredible, and I'm so grateful for it. We have a roundtable that's sitting locked and loaded, ready to go here, and we're already 10 minutes late in getting to them, so i got to move. I'm so grateful for both of your time. Uh, Sarah, I won't do justice to, to earlier uh, unless I ask you to, to just quickly, if you can do it in 30 seconds, uh, the implications of the war in Ukraine on this budget. Obviously, NATO spending, Canada's spending is not at the 2% that NATO's been asking for, not even no. close, under 1.4, but it would be about what 12 13 billion dollars more annually to get to that two percent your take on ukraine real quick yeah so according to national defense we would have to invest at least 15 billion dollars more a year until 2026 2027 Um, i think that we really need to look at it as a country how we want to support and what resources we can bring to the table and perhaps use our wonderful, I'm gonna sound also conservative right now, but bring uh, different energy options to the European country to try to starve off uh, Mr. Putin's fundraising right now to finance this war in Ukraine. Um, But it's such a long conversation, but I think I do believe that we need to do more. I'm already looking forward to the both of your next appearance here on the show. It's It's been really uh, fascinating to hear your insights and everybody, as we said earlier today, uh, analyzes a budget differently. And I'm grateful for the for the two of you. That was Sarah Biggs. You just heard a partner at Olson and Biggs Public Affairs and Erica Ifill, uh, co-founder, co-host of the Bad and Bitchy podcast. You can check out Not In My Color, an equity and anti-racism consultancy. And of course, you can read Erica's great work in The Hill Times. My thanks to both of you. Coming up in just a second, our Real Talk Roundtable. It's a Friday tradition here on the show. We're going to talk about building great communities and we're going to be hearing from three people who do exactly that on a daily basis. But first, I want to let you know that this next interview you're going to hear is presented by a couple of great sponsors of ours, including Kubi Energy. You know, they present positive reflections every Monday here on the show. If something filled your bucket, if something made your day a random act of kindness, somebody paid it forward or, or maybe you did. 
You can send it to us in an email, talk at ryanjesperson.com. Listen for it on Monday's feature, Positive Reflections, presented by Kubi Energy. You can check out more on what they're doing with regards to residential and commercial solar power systems, energy projects in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, the Northwest Territories. You can check out what they've done on homes, these solar power systems in, in, in Kamloops and Creston and Parkland County and Pincher Creek. More and more people getting on board as solar becomes more efficient and more affordable. If you want a free quote today, you can find them online at kubienergy.ca. And if your weekend plans include crushing a burger, I would recommend you visit the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, their new signature stack burger collection. They've just rolled it out this month. Includes the bacon two cheese deluxe, the mushroom cheeseburger signature stack burger, the original cheeseburger. That's the one everybody gets excited about. Make it a single, a double, or a triple at the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And you let them know when you're there, you're there because you heard about them on Real Talk. Appreciate that. Our Friday roundtable is coming up in just a second. We're going to talk about building great communities. Uh, I appreciate your takes as well when you're in touch with the show. Uh, Mark has been an advocate. You've heard Mark Doran on the show before, an advocate uh, for essentially orphan wells. He wants Alberta cleaned up. He wants uh, corporations and, and those responsible for the liabilities to make good on it. He says, you know, cleanup of inactive oil and gas infrastructure creates employment and business opportunities across the province. He says people need to look at this, and it's time to manage our oil and gas properly. That's another interesting perspective. Uh, others of you talking about healthcare staff, others of you talking about the, the dynamics and certain provincial political trends, right? I mean, Sarah just touched on that in our conversation. Sarah Biggs did. Uh, Jason Kenney's leadership review kicks off this weekend. What is it now? More than 15,000 people, mail-in ballots. There's a trash talk about it. There's an email about it. That's coming up right after our Friday roundtable. Johnny, are we ready to rock with these three? Are we going to hang tight? Okay, let's get to them. Uh, I'm really excited about this. Building great communities. How does it happen? Why is it important? What stands in the way of great communities? Uh, Punita McBrien, uh, you've seen her here on the show before, the executive director of the Edmonton Downtown Business Association. They're the lead conveners, activators, and advocates shaping downtown Edmonton's future and post-COVID recovery. Before she took on this challenge, Punita was a marketing, comms, and public engagement consultant. Her community building earned her the honor of the cover on Edify's recent top 40 under 40 issue. Lisa Holmes, you know her, a former, I love this story, former library board member that decided to put her name on a ballot one day 12 years ago and wound up as the mayor of Morinville, president of Alberta municipalities, and of course her current role, she's chief of staff uh, to Edmonton's mayor, Amarjeet Sohi. Uh, Doug Griffiths, same sort of a deal. He was a rancher. He was just minding his own business. He was a rancher and a teacher, and life was good until he shot off his mouth one too many times about the need for a community-building strategy for rural Alberta. And that's how he found his way into politics, where he served for four terms, including as a minister uh, in the government of Alberta. I first interviewed Doug during those floods, those southern Alberta floods back in 2013. He was calling the shots. Uh, he left politics and went back into community building, and that's what he's doing now full-time through his agency, 13 Ways. And we're going to be talking about a community leaders camp uh, that we're all going to be participating in in Jasper in just a little bit. So I'm curious to pick the three of your brains on community building and what it looks like and why it's so important. Punita, for, for some people, they'll go, 
I mind my own business. I want to have good relationships with my neighbors. But when it comes to building community, that sounds like a, a tall order. It sounds like a lot of work. Why is it so important? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the hardest parts of, of building community for any municipality. My heart goes out to our elected officials to just make people give a shit sometimes um, that, that, you know, there is something bigger than themselves and their, their own family and their own neighborhood that, you know, we're all a part of a community and that um, what happens in that community comes down to all of us. It's not just the people that are in traditional roles of power. It's all of us in our, in our workplaces, in our communities, um, and, and we all have influence in our own circles and we all have little things that we can do um, to either make or break communities. And I, and I love Doug's work in the past on uh, 13 ways to kill your community. There's a lot of ways that you can uh, do it wrong. Um, and if you get it right, though, it's really, really worth it. And, and great communities don't just happen. Like, you know, especially in this role, since I've been um, with the Downtown Business Association, I hear a lot of people always pointing to other downtowns and other cities. We should be more like them. We should do more of that. Um, and what people don't understand is, you know, it's not like just some government official somewhere waved a magic wand and Austin became a really cool city. That work happens every day um, by small business owners, by community members, by musicians, by artists, um, by people who sit on volunteer boards and, and just say, I want to do whatever I can to make this a great place to live. And uh, yeah. So Lisa, you're, I mean, that what Panita just said, it maybe sounds like it describes like sort of the early stage of your journey, right? You're a library board member. I'm assuming you weren't collecting a lucrative uh, stipend for your work with the library board, but you obviously felt some calling. You wanted to participate. You wanted to contribute. So how, how does that lead to you becoming mayor and then president of Alberta municipalities and then chief of staff to Edmonton's mayor? I mean, obviously something lit a fire within you was it was it the idea of that bigger picture punita talking about taking some you know maybe the third or fourth or fifth most prominent place in texas and turning it into one of the most successful branding exercises of all time it was it the same sort of a thing yeah it was i mean obviously uh library board members and small communities are, are straight up volunteers and that was something i think that uh growing up in rural alberta was a huge part of of the narrative around my upbringing was that you have to contribute more than just money. You have to contribute time as much as possible. And uh, community builders are, are, are so essential to the fabric of small communities. But I now in this role have really started to appreciate what it's like to uh, have such a dense network of communities in a large urban center. And the, the differences between the two, um, I think you can see a lot more risk taking in large urban centers because the, the networks are so dense. Like we do talk a lot about Edmonton being like the, the smallest big city in the world because everyone that, that I connect with, I feel like um, on so many different levels is connected to different communities and they're all interwoven within one another. So. It is, it's really important to get people to, to buy into the idea that uh, taking risks is what a, a big part of an effective community is, as well as trying new things and innovating and trying to be a part of all of the different ideas that are being thrown out there. But uh, that's how communities essentially grow and thrive.
Um, it's your innovation. People are going to be going, why is Jesperson not asking Doug Griffiths any questions? And just want to let you know, there's just, I think, just some, some connection issues. And so hopefully he's going to be able to join us again. Uh, Doug, a former government minister, the founder of 13 Ways. And, and Punita mentioned his book, 13 Ways to Kill Your Community, which is a really fascinating work that he wrote shortly after getting out of government. Um, you know, Punita, we talk about, like, you know, decentralization of community building or, or you know, what that looks like, how it's successfully implemented or the impact of it. Can you take us into the meaning and how it would apply to people, uh, communities, regardless of where they're hearing this from? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, I'm learning all of this as I go. I, I was I was not involved really heavily in, in community building, I don't think, uh, before I started in this job. And so I'm learning more and more about um, the tools and, and the strategies that are out there to get people more uh, involved day to day in their community. And, and I think the city of Edmonton actually does a great job. And, and Lisa's right, like obviously a big city, um, it's easier to do these kinds of things. But um, even I look at something like our downtown vibrancy strategy that our, our city developed. It's not a, a bunch of work that the city says, we are going to do this, this and this. It's, it's a series of actions that the community has said to the city, these are the things that we think we need in order to have a thriving downtown. And then they put a pool of money in it and attached it to it. And now they're saying, okay, here's some money, here are the actions. Now please come and take some of this money and do some of this stuff. So there's, there's sort of more, like those are more of the structured ways that you can sort of decentralize community building, if you can put in place programs and systems that enable people to, to do stuff. Um, but outside of those structured sort of formal systems, um, it's things like, I think of a guy like Brent Oliver, who runs uh, Music Festival Winterruption. Um, he's just a guy. Um, and there's so many of those festivals and events, or I think about, um, Enina and, and Michelle O'Carey, who are, who are great community leaders here, they've started running a, a BIPOC real estate investment hmm. program, uh, getting more BIPOC youth engaged and involved in the commercial real estate industry. And neither of them are even directly working in that industry. They just saw a really big gap and a great place to build more wealth and opportunities for wealth and, and Black and BIPOC youth. And it's like people who just decide to do stuff and then it's really up to our formal leaders, like our traditional leadership position holders, like the mayor and, and like leaders uh, at the city, um, to find those people and to see those things that are happening and say, how can we support you and how can we enable you and what you're trying to accomplish? Because it's it's remarkable, right? When when somebody that's that's just a person, like, like you say, it's it's not a city council, it's not the mayor, it's not a school board trustee, an MLA, an MP, what have you. But it's somebody that, that looks around and sees a void or perhaps has a, a negative experience or perhaps uh, has more of an understanding or an enlightenment with regards to, to something that, that could move their community forward, that could enrich their community. But, but it's one thing to, to be aware that it's not there. And it's another thing to step up and, you know, put in the effort and put in the time, oftentimes without the glory or the recognition, to make those things happen. And it takes community members to make those things happen. Lisa, you said something a while ago when we were talking that, that intrigued me. You said that, you know, communities have evolved massively over the past couple of years, for sure, and not always in a good way. And we're going to look back, of, of course, uh, I, I suppose, with, with wide-angle lenses and, and, and zeroed-in lenses over the next, I, I, I mean, I guess, 
probably for the rest of our lives, we'll remember the, the pandemic era or whatever we'll end up calling it. And, and children yet to be born will look back and see photos of all of us wearing masks and kind of pick our brains on what the impact of that was. How have the past couple of years in your assessment impacted our sense of or the strength of our communities? Well, I think one of the things to, to consider is that community is more than just place. And I think that's something that's really hit home to most of us in the last couple of years. Like community means so many different things. And we each have a, a variety of communities within our own space. Our, our friend community, our support networks, all of those things became a lot more um, of a priority when it came through the pandemic. And I think we, we relied much more on our, our small networks, our, our ones like our, our neighborhoods and, and our, our friend groups, our family. Um, you know, I, I was thinking back about the fact that one of my strongest communities a few years ago when we were living in Morinville was the school community. Being a mom, being a part of that network of moms, being a part of the network of parents that were always in the school, always being a part of the, the, the daily conversation, all of the fundraising. I have yet to have set foot in my son's junior high school and he's about to leave it. I, I don't even really know his teachers. I've never met them in person. I've completely lost that school community through the pandemic. And I think that that really starts to change who we are and the fabric of our society when we start to evolve and change the communities that we rely on and, and who we're a part of and the different groups that we speak about. But the other thing that has been really interesting and it touches on what Penny was just talking about, about downtown revitalization and all the different strategies that were relating to that the pace of change in our communities has escalated in an incredible way. And partly that's because communities, both the members and the community itself are constantly evolving and growing. And what we're seeing now is that some of the community members are evolving faster than the communities can keep up with. So the conversations are changing. And I know we're feeling that in the municipal government level is that we our priorities are shifting daily. The things that were a priority in 2019 and early 2020 are no longer a priority now. Those are out the door. Now we're talking about recovery. We're talking about whether or not we should be investing in our transit system. What does it look like to have a new network of people and communities and how do they travel and how do they talk and what, what do they need? What does recreation mean? Because I think that was blown out the window. We were no longer going to the big, huge, expensive facilities. We were now like spending more time in our local parks and playgrounds, and yeah. those matter more. It's just been a really interesting conversation to see how how both the, the the positive changes have happened because we've really gotten to rely on people more. That human connection is really mattering now. But uh, yeah, the the, pa the pace of change for municipal governments is just it's almost unsustainable because we're going to see less and less like actual systemic change happening because we just can't, there's no time. You're going to see a lot of surface level decision-making and things that are just being thrown out the window fast because we have to keep up. And and then Punita, there's, there's the angle. I mean, there, there's the, the, the big picture concept of what Lisa's talking about. And then there's how you approach it. I mean, I mean, what a time for you, as if I need to say this, probably a thousand people have said this to you, but the, the timing of you stepping into this role, executive director of a downtown business association. And, and you look at, I mean, it doesn't need to be a contest of who's been hit hardest by COVID. I mean, I think that, that, that a lot of people have sustained a lot of damage. When it comes to downtown businesses, when it comes to recovery and trends and priorities and these types of things, obviously, you and your partners are going to see things a little bit differently as, as well. How do you relate to what Lisa's talking about? Yeah, 100%. And, and the pace of change is, is such an interesting thing to think about because I, I probably haven't thought about that really directly. But yeah, like what I walked into and what everyone was grappling with in 2020 in the context of a downtown everything changed overnight 
um, when, when all of a sudden you've got an entire local economy, an entire ecosystem where, and in like, I would say the majority of, of the community members are gone. Our daytime population were just gone. Yeah. Um, we had to create reasons for people to be downtown. We had to create reasons for people to be here. And all of a sudden we as a business association have been doing things that I don't think the downtown business association would have ever fathomed. We, we built a, a temporary park last year um, as a business association. Like, I, I don't think any of my predecessors would have fathomed spending their time and energy and money on something like that. But we, we had to throw every rule out the window and just think about what does this community need right now to thrive and survive? How do we, how do we fill the void of, of all these community members that are gone so that we still have people here spending their time so that residents downtown have somewhere to be and exist and connect with each other in, in a COVID safe way um, and then ultimately, yeah, to support the business community. How do we make sure we're still doing stuff that brings people here to spend their money so that we don't lose all of these businesses and then lose this, this like really, as it turns out, delicate ecosystem uh, of our downtown community. And it's been absolutely wild. Yeah, I, and I'm fascinated to pick people's brains or just observe what I see around me where, you know, some people will say, uh, like, I am one of these people. I can't wait to get into like, packed ballrooms and I can't I keep saying I can't wait to have more people spilling drinks all over me I can't wait to be busy again and be in like restaurants that are just buzzing on a Saturday night but then you also talk to a lot of people that that like things have changed for them and and you know they've they've sort of made changes to uh, talk to a buddy yesterday and they, they they you know have sold or divested themselves of some things that would involve going out uh, that would involve participating more in their community although he wouldn't put it that way um, and have invested more in things at home I mean like even I mean it's such a small little thing but like how many people have bought pelotons or hot tubs or or investing in landscaping instead of going you know what I mean I mean, a lot of more people are saying, you know, more people than I might have thought uh, saying these past two years are going to change their habits in, in what may wind up being a bit more of a permanent way. Um, and it's fascinating stuff. But Panidi, I want to circle back on you talk about these these community leaders, not, not the elected ones, not the necessarily the immediately prominent ones, not the ones that get, you know, always are in the spotlight, but but people that are making real changes or that are really creating opportunities uh, for those around them, their fellow community members. How do you encourage or, or empower or enable that type of leadership at that level. Yeah, and that's, I think, what, what we need to tap into now more than ever. And it, especially what you were just talking about, like how many people have sort of retreated inwardly uh, more than ever because of COVID and, and what can we do to sort of draw people back out and thinking of themselves as a, as a part of a whole and someone who can influence in their community and uh, help to build the kind of community they wanna live in. Um, I don't know the answer. I think storytelling is a big part of it. The more we can sort of pick out the, the community leaders that are out there, like tell the story of some of our, our festival organizers who, who created something out of nothing or um, yeah, some of the nonprofits that have formed just in the last like five years to, to tell the story of what made those people realize that they could do something to solve a problem they saw in their community. And um because I mean, to me, this all comes back to this whole idea too of, of representation really mattering. You know, a lot of times I think for myself, even growing up, when I thought about community leaders, like you think of a much older generation. Um, and if you don't see people like you who share your interests, who share your values, maybe look like you, sound like you, if you don't see those people out there 
leading in some way, you might not see yourself taking that path. So making sure that we're, we're plucking out these stories and, and telling, um, telling, I guess, the youth uh, about all of these great community leaders that we have and helping them see themselves. The other thing though, this is an equity issue too, because like Lisa said, it's a lot of these boards and a lot of these activities that we talk about, you're not compensated for doing that stuff. Um, and so not everyone has the luxury of time. Uh, you know, if they're working more than one job, even if they're working a full-time job. Um, so that's where I think, you know, organizations like the municipality or I don't know, community foundations, like there are organizations out there who hopefully can help use finances to empower people to do some of this stuff. And again, I think the downtown vibrancy strategy um, from the city, just the one obviously I'm the most familiar with, but that's a great example of that, where there's money available. If there's something you want to do and you might not necessarily know how to pay yourself to do it, there's money available for, for you to make things a reality and so that you can be compensated for your efforts. Hmm. Um, Lisa, I, 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 was, I don't know why I was going to say I, I won't ask you to speak for your boss because you can. You're the chief of staff. You, you literally are the one person that can speak for your boss, uh, for the mayor of... <laughs> For the mayor, of, for the mayor of Edmonton, Averjeet Sohi, but but like b based on what Punita's saying, and she's bang on. You, you you hear stories like this all the time. Like you hear like, I think of like a, a you know a, a young black hockey player that enters the National Hockey League, and will say I was inspired by like Grant Fuhrer. I was inspired by Jerome McGinley, or you know a, a a young woman that will rise to elected office and say I was in, there was that one politician or there there was that one woman that inspired me. People see opportunity in front of them, and then they start to dream. Like, like Punita outlined, um, Mayor Sohi's story is a remarkable one. I mean, a political prisoner uh, in India. I mean, a, a public transit driver, a bus driver becomes a city councilor, becomes a federal minister, uh, you know, the, the mayor of a city of a, of a million people. Um, every elected official, in particular, you know, mayors, premiers and prime ministers will put their stamp on leadership or and it's probably too early to start talking about legacy it's 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 not been too long that mayor so he's occupied office but based on his background and based on his story in the context of building community and with representation what's an initiative that that is planned or is already happening or has happened uh, that would speak to what punita's talking about how is this mayor how is your office uh, putting its stamp on that kind of thing that is a really great question um, and something I love talking about because I, I mean, we, Amrishi uh, Sohi is an incredible human being. And like I've told you, Ryan, personally, he's the, only him would, uh, only he would be the one to bring me back out of retirement in politics because right. it's just so inspirational. But I'll tell you something that uh, most people would never get to see. Two things happened yesterday. We had City Hall school kids come into our office. And uh, we have these great walls that are full of their art now. They every month provide art to come in. And this month is all about Ramadan. And so there's these beautiful pictures. I can see them right now outside my office that are all done by the kids. And they came in to visit him and show them the art. And he started saying to them like, oh, where are you from? Or like, where's your family from? And realized that a lot of these kids speak languages he speaks. So he started talking to them in Punjab and in Hindi, and these kids are, are feeling like, oh my gosh, there's the mayor of Edmonton is speaking to me in my language. And this happened the other day too, with one little girl in the class, and she became a bit of a rock star. Like all the kids were talking to her. What did you say to him? What did he say to you? Like, I see every single day, the impact that he has and being the first, being the first person of color to hold this office. 
it's just incredible. So I think that, like, just the little things we're seeing with kids, but in general, I mean, communities that have never been able to access our office are feeling now, I think like they have a voice here. The anti-racism strategy that was his first motion that he put forward um, is really interesting because it's the first thing that has been done in a model of co-creation in the city of Edmonton. So the groups have come forward and they're actually creating the work, they're creating the outcomes, they're creating the policy directly with city administration and council together as a team. And that's incredible. That's something that hasn't happened. And I think it just brings the voices forward, but it also respects the fact that their lived experience is so unique that it's stories that can't be told sometimes by other people. It's policies that have to be developed through community. And I think that um, that in itself has been great, but honestly, I mean, it's just, uh, it's also the idea that our leadership in the past has been very transactional. Like we we see examples of it. I think like some of the old the older politicians that are in the space probably remember when things were like, I'll give you this if you give me that. Like that that's how it worked. Lobbyists were a big thing. People would always come and, and they'd make backroom deals. Yeah. Those days seem to be gone. We now have a transformational, authentic leader in this office. Someone who you can talk to and you can feel the empathy coming from him. He believes in community, but he loves people. And that's at the heart of everything we do. So hmm. I know I'm excited to be here just to be able to move that forward. And uh, I do see every day how much it's impacting the community, which is great. I think I think I can see that it's, it, you talking is impacting Punita, if I'm picking up on it. <laughs> well, well, I'm a crier at the best of times. So don't too. talk to me uh, about <laughs> kids seeing themselves in the mayor's office. I will start sobbing immediately. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, but but like it's incredible. It's absolutely yeah. amazing, right? Yes. And uh, so we recognize that this is, you know, I, I, I think probably an acknowledgement we make in, in some way, shape, or form every episode of the show that we do is that there's evidence of uh, positive change and uh, progress all around us, yet we realize uh, that so much work remains to be done. And uh, it, it, it's a real honor to talk to the two of you, two of you, uh, the people in our community that are doing that work. And uh, before we let you go, I wanted to let everybody that's listening to this, that's watching this know about uh, what we're all going to be doing between April 25th to the 28th uh, out at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. Uh, you can check this out at 13 Ways Inc dot com slash camp uh it's the first ever community leaders camp taking place in jasper alberta community leadership conference we're going to cover a bunch of stuff but discuss essentially how your community can position itself for the most prosperous future possible uh, it'll spark inspiration invigoration connect you with fellow community builders all of this to arm you with the tools to prepare for the future and we're probably going to have a little bit of fun along the way you can check out 13ways.ca slash camp if you want to learn more about that punita lisa it is so good to see both of you um i kept you a little bit longer than we said we would and we delayed the kickoff to this because we we're talking federal budget i appreciate your grace your availability have a wonderful rest of your day and i can't wait to see you out in jasper at the community leaders camp thanks ryan it was a pleasure yes thanks you got it so that's thanks. Lisa Holmes, she's Chief of Staff to Edmonton's Mayor, Amarjeet Sohi, Punita McBrien, the Executive Director of the Edmonton Downtown Business Association. And, and Johnny, we'll get we'll get uh, Doug Griffiths back on the show sometime. The guy's like got some bang on assessments of community. He, he wrote this book. It's a great it's, it's a few years old now. I remember I interviewed him when he first wrote it. 13 yeah. Ways to Kill Your Community. Yeah. 
you know, sort of 13 mistakes that communities can make. But uh, I was uh, interested to hear him. But yeah, just a yeah. bad connection. To, a lot of technical things well, going on. This yeah. Week. Well, he sent me a he sent me a My text fault. and he says <laughs> uh, he sent me a text and he said he is in Outer Banks, North Carolina. I thought you were going to say outer space. <laughs> <laughs> the Internet outer connection, space. the connection kind of looked like he was in outer space. But yeah. Outer Banks, North Carolina, this, communities bring him in. They fly him in. That's amazing. Uh, to advise them on how they can better strengthen their communities, build their communities, create those opportunities, those equity. We'll uh, get you know, opportunities. So we'll get uh, Doug Griffiths back on the show to be sure. Let us know what you think about this. If this resonated with you, I'm particularly interested to hear from the from the doers out there. What's something that you've done in your community or something that maybe somebody did, an opportunity that opened up for you in a way that enriched your community? We'd love to hear about it. As we say goodbye to you on this Friday episode of uh, Real Talk, I will remind you how grateful we are to partner with our friends at Local Environmental uh, across the Prairie Provinces, Alberta, Saskatchewan in particular, a waste and recycling management. Of course, they do a ton of other stuff as well. Water hauling, portable toilets, fencing. You're putting on a music festival. Maybe you're one of these doers in your community. Check out localenvironmental.ca. Now, every Friday, Local Environmental gives us a chance to blow off a little steam to say what we mean. You know, it's a feature that we call a trash talk all right this one from charlie who says uh, can it be any more annoying uh, by the way uh, back-to-back emails on a specific theme in this week's edition of trash talk we obviously didn't plan this we didn't we couldn't plan this charlie says uh, people in your townhouse community refuse to pick up their pets bowel movements very classy <laughs> classy way to put it charlie every morning i trudge across the street from my town home to the park to let my five pound chihuahua do her business inevitably she comes home with pooey paws oh my gosh i understand the need for urgency sometimes in the morning i'm well aware that in the winter all of us let a few snow poops fall to the wayside through the freshly driven morning snow it's piled high fair enough when they freeze, it's of no concern. It's spring now. Time for pet owners to shape up and pick up. Charlie says, imagine a dog owner this morning watching me bend down in my suit, tie, and dress shoes to pick up a loony-sized bathroom bud from my little pooch, only <laughs> to have them allow their 85-pound boxer. Why you got to pick on boxers? Taking an enormous grumpy right in front of the main exit walkway to the park, then hearing him say, good boy, now home for brekkie. Not even an effort to pick it up as they look at me in their sweatpants and hoodie and smile as if their dog just won an Oscar for best bathroom performance as I have to leap over the excrement. Charlie, what a storyteller. Do us all a favor. Clean up your act or your pet's act. Literally, sorry, not sorry. That from Charlie. Okay, fine. Now get this from Lauren. This one arrived. Different day than Charlie. I'm assuming they're not in the same townhouse complex. <laughs> I don't know if they are. I need to know where this townhouse complex is. She says, I'm looking out our second floor bedroom window and a neighbor from down the street who I know is walking her dog right past our house. The dog stops to sniff around a bit and then starts to settle in. And then I know what's coming up next no big deal dog's got to go right so the dog does and then my neighbor looks at our front door looks left looks right and then leaves with the pile still steaming on our lawn now i'm willing to give my neighbor the benefit of the doubt maybe she forgot her poo bags at home or something but if you hear this neighbor and if you know it's you says lauren the next time you leave something just off my front porch it better be a bottle of wine okay fair (laughs) enough this one from dolly dolly can appreciate everybody's interests in alberta premier jason kenny's upcoming leadership review but does anybody really believe there will be an ounce of legitimacy to this whole dog and pony show hasn't even started yet and it already stinks to high heaven dolly says as a member of the party you better believe i will be cast 
casting my ballot, but I'll be honest, I'm concerned about where this thing's going to go. A change in leadership is needed, but looking at the so-called front-running candidates to replace Kenny leaves a lot to be desired. I'm worried about the future of politics in my province. That from Dolly. And this one from Karen. You knew this was coming. She says, come on, Ryan, do your homework. Yesterday's show, you referred to the Liberals and the NDP as forming a coalition, but that's not what they've done. They've entered into it, and here it is, Johnny, a confidence and supply agreement, nice. says Karen. Karen knows what she's talking about. She says there's a difference, uh, but conservative voices in Canada don't want people to know that. You know, the NDP has not been given roles in cabinet. They will not share governing duties. It's true. She says, so it's not a coalition. They're not joining the seats of the parties to govern the country. Canada has not had a coalition government since 1917. In the confidence and supply agreement, the NDP will back the Liberals on any confidence votes and on budgets until June of 2025. In exchange, the Liberals will take action on issues important to the NDP, like National Pharmacare, dental coverage for low-income Canadians, two parties working together to get things done and have some stability at the federal level for a few more years, in my opinion, is a win for Canadians. That from Karen, the raging granny. Karen? I agree with you 100%. You can send us your trash talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That inbox is open 24-7 every Friday. Join us here as we put them out there on blast. Coming up on Monday, I can't wait to connect with my good pal Charles Adler. The titan of talk will join us for a pull no punches conversation on all things news and politics across the country. In the meantime, make it an amazing weekend, friends. Be good to one another. Let's talk more about building great communities and how we can make that happen, including right here. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you Monday. One love. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.